Welcome, I'm Ryan Hicks, and this is Modern Business, the podcast to learn from franchise business leaders and explore new business technology. Our community is about sharing knowledge and tools that help us achieve our goals in business and beyond. Thanks for being here, and welcome to Modern Business. Hey, welcome back. This is Modern Business Podcast, the podcast for all things franchising. I actually changed the little tag. I used to say the podcast for franchise entrepreneurs and entrepreneurs, but all things franchising, I think, is is more fitting. And so we're on a bit of a roll as uh, we have a lot of great episodes, kind of as always uh, here on the home stretch of the year. Um, but we've we've really got over the next couple of weeks, we've really got some phenomenal leaders and we're excited to have today's guest. And uh, we're, we're kind of the one quick announcement uh, at the top of the house before I bring today's guest in. We are in full on planning mode for the Franchise Young Conference. It's going to be uh, an exclusive two day kind of summit type feel in Fort Lauderdale. Um, everything from the content to the socializing and networking which all of you folks in the audience that have been to either Springboard or Unconference or even Young Conference in 2019, when we got to have our first in-person one, um, the kind of the socializing and the networking is a staple of these events. Um, but the cuisine will be phenomenal. The venue will be phenomenal. It's going to be January 31st through February 2nd. So go ahead and mark the calendars and we're going to be getting registration and info like that out very soon. Um, so that's a uh, young conference. Um, top of housewise, the only other thing that I'll mention before I bring in today's guest, uh, because I think it, it tees up today's guest. So over this past weekend, as we're recording this, we're sitting in the middle of the week and I'm not quite sure how the weeks are passing so quickly, uh, but I was looking at data on, you know, businesses started over the past, you know, number of years, probably call it four years, just year over year. And this is businesses of any types. And then I'm looking at the data of the number of new franchisees that enter the market. And it's just such, it's such an opportune time for folks that want to, they want to do their own thing, be their own boss, but have the support and guidance. And you look at the success rate of businesses is exactly inverted. When you talk about starting your own thing versus joining a proven brand. And so um, we're working on some numbers and some reporting and different things like that, uh, that I think have even widened that gap of, you know, success of franchisees versus success of folks just kind of starting their own thing. Definitely encourage people to chase their passions and, and their dreams and all of that. But here at Modern Business, we just are massive evangelists of the franchise business model. And as I really started looking at some of the updated numbers this past weekend, it's just it's just incredible. And so by way of introduction to today's guest, uh, they have a brand that has been around, uh, I believe, and I can be corrected if I'm wrong because I did, I did some research and I am familiar with the brand, even though they're not here in Dallas yet. So if you're in Dallas, and looking for opportunities, this may be one for you. Um, but they've been they've been around um, since I think it was 1972. They have a phenomenal opportunity, and we're going to dig into that, and then kind of all all areas of the business. Um, so today's guest, kind of prior to current day, um, he was a large multi-unit operator. Uh, I'll let him share uh, the brands that he worked with. He also has a, a couple of decades and, and some in, in financial business experience with a very diverse background. So very pleased to introduce the president of Cousin Subs, 
Mr. Jason Westhoff. Well, so welcome to Modern Business Podcast, brother. Oh, thanks, Ryan. Mister, that's great. I think that was reserved for my dad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I added in the mister. That's that's kind of funny. Um, you know, as I as I as I uh, segue in here and get get kind of your background, just tell us a little bit about yourself, the career journey thus far. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I, I came out of school. I went to a little D3 school in Iowa Luther College. So a little shout out to the Norse out there um, and uh, came out deciding I was going to be a licensed stockbroker right out of school. So, you know, who doesn't want to buy financial advice from a 22 year old kid who doesn't have any wealth? So I learned pretty quickly that that was a really bad idea. And, uh, you know, my journey was non, I guess, non-traditional. And the fact that I took a job with account temps way back in the day, just basically to pay the bills. And the next thing you know, I became a CFO. <laughs> and it wasn't the next thing you know, it was about six industries later. Um, but I really think, you know, my journey through each of the different in- industries that I've been in uh, really helped kind of forge the way for where my success was going to lie when I re- reached the restaurant industry. Um, because it basically shows you different paths and how different successes can happen in different industries and also different failures and learning from those failures and bringing them through. So, you know, I think really my manufacturing background really had a lot to do with some of the successes we have here simply because restaurants are really manufacturers. They just, you know, they they take their inventory and they turn it into throughput more quickly than most places do. So, yeah, I mean, I think that, uh, you know, the journey was great. Uh, as you mentioned, I spent uh, uh, approximately 10 years in the franchise on the franchise side of things uh, with a former uh, franchisee here in Wisconsin who were, uh, you know, the largest owners of Applebee's and Pizza Huts. Uh, they were the 30, 31st largest franchisee, I think, at their peak in the United States. And um, and then I came to Cousin Subs uh, just based on this huge opportunity really to take the, what was a 40-year-old brand then and reinvigorate it. So we're in our 50th year now, as, as you did. So great homework. Nice nice job on that. We'll be celebrating our 50th uh, back in Atlantic City uh, sometime next year. But super excited to be here. And I really appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Well, congratulations on the 50th to come. And uh, tell us a little bit about, um, tell us a little bit about Cousin Subs. I mean, you can share a little bit about the founding story if you wanted to, or you can just bring it to current day. Um, Just tell us about the brand and maybe a little bit about how you differentiate and, and maybe some of the culture that you guys have. Sure. Yeah. Cousins was founded in 72, as I mentioned. Um, Our founder, uh, Bill Specht, uh, I was originally from uh, Atlantic City, from the Atlantic City area, grew up on the East Coast uh, after serving some time in the military, settled in the Midwest, uh, got married, uh, realized he missed his East Coast subs and wanted to uh, find a way to bring those forward in the Midwest. Um, and so he reached out to a cousin of his who was still out on the East Coast. And he, they came uh, together and joined forces here in Milwaukee um, in 1972 and founded Cousin Subs. So it's literally two cousins who uh, founded the sub business. Um, Fast forward uh, 50 years, you know, we've we've been through the whole gamut of things. We were as as far north as 160 units at one point. Uh, we were 95% franchised at one point. Um, and right now we're a 100 unit brand that we own 40% of the stores and 60% of the stores are franchised. Uh, so we've gone kind of through the full life cycle and then we're in the revigoration stage. So uh, feeling really confident about the direction, the trajectory that the brand has. Certainly what we've done over the last 10 years is basically to take this thing to its next, next generation. Um, and then Bill transferred the business to his daughter, Christine. So she's the CEO um, a few years back, about five years back. And then uh, three years ago, uh, I was appointed as the president really to handle the day-to-day decision-making. So as Christine and I would de- describe it, it's a yin and yang. Uh, and she likes the people side of the business. And while I like people, I do really well at making uh, critical decisions. And, and uh, uh, as a former finance guy, I like numbers and I like to make data-driven decisions. 
Um, and so it's actually worked out really well for us. Awesome. Talking about numbers and looking at looking at those and and looking at the data, share with us what the last couple of years has looked like. We've been through a wild time, uh, especially you know footprint <laughs> footprint in the Northeast, and I, I actually should even check myself and make sure that is where the, where a lot of the footprint is. But um, what did 2019, what, what did 2020 look like for you guys and how are, how are you looking today? Uh, 2019 was a really good year. I remember, uh, we sat down at, uh, you know, as we do in the, in the Westoff family, our tradition is to go around at new year's and be grateful, talk about things we're grateful for, for 2019. What was one of the greatest years we'd had, even from a business standpoint. And, uh, I remember walking out of that thinking 2020 was just going to even be the greater culmination of all of that. And uh, certainly as we were rolled into the pandemic, like a lot of people, we experienced 40% sales drops in those first four weeks and we were still down 30% after six weeks. Uh, but things slowly started to pick back up and we started to gain some positive momentum. Um, and realistically, we were just super excited. We ended the year in, in uh, 2020 actually up sales uh, versus a prior year. And I credit that to a lot of different things. Number one, we had a technology platform that we put in place um, three years prior that standardized all the technology in each of the hundred stores. Um, number two, we had, we, we, we got credit for something we didn't know we wanted, we were going to get credit for. And that is we had a grab and go products, you know, sub sandwiches have always been kind of considered a grab and go product. And so in a point where people didn't want to do, make a lot of contact and spend a lot of time in restaurants, um, and they wanted convenience and they wanted something that was at a price point that made sense. We were in the right industry from that standpoint. And then I think really beyond that, it's also just the fact that we just had a great franchise system and our communication channel just really improved. Um, you know, I hunkered down and basically just uh, gleaned over information that was coming from the Fed and from the state agencies and really understanding what was critical to the restaurant industry and working close uh, with the state restaurant associations and the NRA really just to get a good understanding of what was impacting our business and sharing that with our operators so our operators could do what they do best. And that was really just to run the day-to-day -day operations of their store. So, um, you know, we ended 2019 feeling good about where we were. Uh, end of 2020, feeling good about, you know, really great and grateful for where we were. Um, but year to date, you know, we're, we're, we're doing great on top of that. You know, sales are up 18% year to date for us over last year, and they're up 23 and percent over 2019. So when people talk about where we are from, uh, from that sort of standard, we're feeling really comfortable about it. Very nice. You mentioned, um, you know, the, uh, technology project. And so as you look at technology, let's peel that onion back just a little bit one more layer. Um, do you want to share any more about that? Because I know that's a, a big undertaking. Yeah. Uh, and so I don't know if that was a POS system or, or a combination of things, but how, how do you guys, how are you using technology to either gain an edge or just really, you know, provide uh, an additional, additional tools for, to the franchisees? Um, just talk a little bit about the technology side of the house. Sure. Yeah. When I came on board, I think we had seven different POS systems in the 140 units. Um, so gleaning information out of those required seven different systems of accumulation and then consolidation. As a matter of fact, two of the systems didn't report whatsoever. So I was typically reporting on about 70% of the system to make uh, data-driven decisions. And it just wasn't really working because they could be in different markets and different products perform differently in different markets. Um, and so about five years ago, we endeavored on standardizing our platform. And that was um, corporately, we decided we were going to make the investment. Uh, so we took on the investment and we put a standardized POS system in every one of our stores. So basically we created a cookie cutter store from a technology standpoint. So the back office PC, 
the POS system, the credit card terminals, uh, the wireless backup that we have, the Wi-Fi network, um, you know, the scanners for all of our loyalty program, all of that stuff was standardized uh, about four years ago. Um, again, it's one of those things where we kind of lucked into it from a timing standpoint. It wasn't intentional. Obviously, nobody knew what was going to happen in 2020. But having that platform in place allowed us to make uh, critical changes right out of the gate. The biggest thing was we could do contactless uh, pickup and we could accept, you know, obviously we, we had a loyalty program in place so we could uh, accept orders uh, online. And there were just so many people who just weren't prepared for that. But yeah, I, I think really from a technology standpoint, the other thing we got out of it is the fact that every decision we make now is loaded with data. And so it's really hard to make bad decisions if you have good data. Sometimes you have to rely on your intuition over the data, but that's pretty infrequent compared to the times that the data will just spell it out for you. So it makes it makes my life a lot easier. It takes a lot of the risk out of the decision making, certainly. Um, but I think at the end of the day, it's it's the right thing. And it's a hard thing, extremely hard to do. I mean, we had to get, you know, 40, 50 different franchisees on board with what we were going to do and how this was going to look going forward. And and it was, uh, you know, it was getting people over the proverbial bridge. It was, it was the hardest thing I think I've ever done from a change management standpoint. I like the quote that you said, it's hard to make bad decisions with good data. <laughs> it's a very good point. And I know that struggle, by the way, because I formatively in my my past career, although I don't look very old, but I, uh, I, I cut my teeth in building a point of sale platform and helped a lot of brands on board. And it is a lot of work. Um, and uh, you're definitely set up. You're set up well. Um, last kind of one other question that you had mentioned earlier, and I want to dig into it a little bit more because you mentioned kind of like your manufacturing background. Obviously, there is pressure because of supply chain, because of labor, et cetera, et cetera. Um, any, any insights there? Um, I know that a lot of everybody's kind of fighting the same battle and it's, you know, they're, they're, it's kind of obvious the, the things that you can and should be doing as a, from a culture standpoint on the labor problem side and uh, any insights that you'd like to share on kind of those challenges. I think that's what's really hidden the industry and a lot of industries in the same way. But any, any insights that you'd like to share on that? Yeah, I'll say, you know, for us, the big thing is really the people side of it. Um, and I'll definitely get into the supplier side of it. But the people side of it, uh, in the middle of the pandemic, we made an investment. We actually changed our operations lead, our vice president of operations. We took our vice president of operations uh, out of his role and put him into a chief people role, basically, uh, because he was the head of culture. And that made total sense for us at the time for the brand. Um, and then we moved forward somebody who um, really was more of a, a core operator because uh, we needed that at the time. So we made an investment in people, uh, certainly bringing somebody forward into a lead role uh, on our leadership team, number one. Uh, number two, we uh, hire a recruiter for the first time in the business uh, history. So really just focusing on making sure that we're filling the pipeline with uh, uh, qualified candidates, number one. But the biggest focus has just really been on retention. Um, you know, Quite honestly, you don't have to fill open roles if you can retain your current talent. And in an industry that averages above 100% turnover in their hourly positions, you know, we pride ourselves on the fact that we are actually beating the industry um, turnover rate by 10%. And that's and our goal is going to increase by uh, uh, quarter over quarter uh, throughout the year, and we'll continue to do that going forward. I hate to interrupt you, but I'm I'm curious because I know that the audience would would like to dig in on that uh, as it relates to the focus on retention. Tactically, how are you doing that? I mean, at the end of the day, it's just treating people right, caring, and all of those things. But how how are you instilling that, and how are you putting the focus on the retention side? 
Sure. I mean, I think, you know, they say it all the time, people don't leave their jobs, they leave their bosses, right? So the first thing is really just making sure that we had quality general managers in each one of the restaurants. And then there are three reasons why people stick around in their jobs if they have a good manager. One is because they get paid correctly, but pay typically isn't the most important thing. It is certainly in your first jobs. Um, but beyond that, it's whether or not you have a voice and whether or not you have a, a, a meaningful relationship with the people you work with. So what we try to do is just build these subcultures within the stores that really are an extension of the culture that we've built corporately. And it starts with really just getting together. Um, so like our, our, our people lead uh, has uh, put in a calendar basically where once a month they actually will have like a food holiday in the store. Well, the, you know, the manager will be responsible for putting together, let's just say like a baked potato bar and it's a social event for them or we might deliver pizza to a store. So they have something other than subs for lunch for the day. Um, the other part is, is, uh, you know, a flair, you know, if you think about it, you've got a lot of different uniforms, but if you introduce some uh, uniforms, you can reward, spot reward people with. Uh, give people rewards when you see them doing good things and good deeds in the store. And then uh, beyond that, pay is obviously hugely important. So we put in retention bonuses and we put in performance bonuses for every single employee all the way down to the hourly employee uh, based on quarterly goals. And that's pretty new to us. Uh, for the most part, our, our performance bonuses had stopped at the general manager position in the past. And COVID has just taught us that, you know, for, you know, we just have to maintain the talent in the industry. Um, the only way we we're going to do it is to, to uh, treat them right on, on every different level. And not that we had been treating them imperfectly before. I thought we actually had a great culture coming into it. But uh, certainly there's a lot, just a lot more competition now outside of the industry that we're, that we're working against. Yep. That was, that was awesome. I think I'm going to clip that and make sure that I share that over on uh, LinkedIn and some other platforms. Um, folks in the audience, be sure to connect with me if you're not there. Um, but I know that I interrupted you in the middle of a whole other thing. I might've thrown you off track, but I'm glad I, I'm glad I did. Um, but we were just talking about, you know, just the pressures on the P&L from labor and supply chain. And I interrupted in the middle. Anything else there? Did I completely derail us? No, I mean, I think when you look at it, like our hourly wage is up 11% versus last year, and that's pretty standard in the industry. Yep. Um, people can say what they want to about where inflation is going or whether it's not going. There's, It's real. Um, product costs are going up. Supply is going down. Um, a lot of the industry is actually happening in the, in, you know, if you're in the protein industry, it happens in processing because you need the headcount to actually process. So it's not necessarily you know, in the crops or in the herd. Um, so there's a whole piece that gets to your end distributor. And then you have to have a great relationship with your distributor as well. And there's just distribution issues that are happening left and right with labor there. Number one, you got to have somebody in the, in the supply house to pick. And number two, you got to have somebody to drive the truck to get it to your place. Um, and there's just issues galore that are happening in that industry as well. So, you know, commodities are rising, wages are rising and prices are going to come with it, you know, and I think that you're seeing a lot of the brands out there are taking price to try and offset some of those things. Um, and we'll just see kind of where the consumer's response is going to happen to that. Yep. Yep. Very, very uh, real things that we're facing. And uh, it's just, that was a very kind of cut and dry look at it. Um, <laughs> but at the end of the day, um, I think the, the focus on the people, the focus on kind of that updated playbook, if you will, at the local level with with kind of instit instituting the culture will will certainly help on the labor side of the house. As we look at the as we look at the franchise opportunity, talk about the types of folks that you're looking to bring into the into the system and why is now a good time uh, for, for them to connect with you and, and connect with your team and, and have a further chat. 
Yeah, I think really from our standpoint in the past, this brand has been a brand that would uh, allow single unit franchisees to come into the system and and for all un unintended purposes, they basically just buy themselves a job. Um, and really my experience with the Pizza Huts and the Applebee's just being in those systems is those, those types of people can be successful individually, but they're not really going to help you grow your brand. And while they're, they're the backbone of, of America, without a doubt, and there's definitely room for franchise uh, individuals like that in, in our system and other systems, you know, really, if, if you're going to ex uh, expand your growth, you have to get, you know, somebody who's a multi, who wants to be a multi-unit operator, who most likely is not going to work in the stores, is going to have a key operator who owns those stores, for me, the sweet spot has always been three to five stores. I've always envisioned that like a five store deal is beautiful. Build your first two stores out of cash flow and then use the collateral for those two stores to finance the next three stores, um, really, and just starting at that level. And then it just becomes exponential. So if you want to do a 10 unit deal or a 20 unit deal, it's just taking that five unit deal and multiplying it. Um, and then I think really just making sure that people are well collateralized as they come in. You know, for us, our build out costs, um, you know, Somewhere can be anywhere in the range of, you know, probably three fifty to four hundred thousand dollars. But costs have been increasing on all the supplies as well. Um, so you look at that build out. Our average store is uh, approximately twenty two to twenty four hundred square feet. The prototype freestanding drive through that we're building is is between twenty two and twenty four. We actually have two different prototypes. Um, so there's that level of investment. Uh, you got to, you know, obviously you need to be collateralized enough to take on a 10 or a 15 year lease if you're getting a new building built out. Um, so you're willing to take on that risk, you know, and, and, and anybody who's in the industry knows that there's a lot of risk that comes with it, but there's a ton of reward too. So really from our standpoint is on the back end, where are we at? So, you know, our AUVs are up substantially versus where the, I think when I got here, the AUVs in the mid 400s um, and now the AUVs are getting closer to um, the mid 700s, which is where we want to be. Um, but the drive-throughs perform substantially better than the non-drive-throughs, and mm -hmm. just you know made that exponentially even uh, a more compelling case. And if you're in the industry, if you're in real estate, you know that if you go hold real estate that has a drive-through on it, you can charge a lot more for rent now than you did back you know two years ago. So um, I think that those are just different pieces. But other than that, you know, I think that really for us, we're just looking at people who are are fans of the brand. You know, for the biggest for the for the franchisees that we have brought on board, for the most part, they come to us as actually um, fans of the brand prior to even wanting to take the brand to a different level. So, I think for us, we're a family-owned business. We're looking for people who are who who want to grow with us, but want to grow with us culturally as well as professionally. Our culture is important to us. It matters to us all the way, as I described, all the way through to the grassroots of the uh, of the hourly employee. And those are the types of people we want to bring on board with us. Absolutely. Um, anything, I know that we've kind of covered a number of the different topics, but from a, I'm a, I'm a new franchisee. I come into the system. I have a plan to build out my five units. Maybe I've done that before and I'm diversifying my portfolio and I have my whole operation, or maybe I'm not. Mm -hmm. um, but any other things that you want to say kind of on the support systems to help them really be focused and really get to where they need to be uh, to be able to, to hit their goal of, of having five units open, whether it's marketing support or just general support. Anything else on that side of the house? Yeah, I mean, for a small brand, we, we perform like a big brand. Like, you know, again, and that's just being familiar with how big brands perform. You know, it starts with, uh, number one, it starts with selection, just selecting the right candidates. Number two, it's site selection. So we'll work through uh, a candidate with site selection as well, helping them identify potentially good sites. Typically, we want them to bring sites forward to us and then we'll grade a site out for them versus vice versa. But then we'll definitely get our feet on the street in the market with them and go through the market with them and get a good understanding of what that looks like. 
then it, and then it really gets turned over to our development team and just making sure they have the prototype obviously is we've already got floor plans and the build outs for those in place. So those can actually be transferred without an issue. Um, and then how do we put those in place in each of the markets? Do you need the 2,200 square foot? Is it 2,400 square foot? Are you going to do an end cap? Uh, as long as it's got a drive through. Sure. Um, and then, then once we actually have it up and running, then it's really just our relationships with our vendors, uh, getting the equipment set up, the front of house, um, certainly the FF&E for the front of house, getting that piece all set up, walking through that process with you, helping co-manage that process with you from a project management standpoint, delivering the store. And then once the store is actually delivered, then actually being on site from a training team standpoint. So bringing your key, key operator into our corporate office here, um, training them for a week or two here, and then taking them and putting them in one of our training stores and having them get trained. So they're ready to hit the ground running when they actually go into the actual live environment. Um, and then having our training team on site there. And then following that, really, it's just the support of you've got a business consultant that we support on the back end with. And we got a number of people in our marketing team who continue to support and really, you know, our corporate office is 40 people of all different functional areas, but there's not a person here who wouldn't pick up the phone and answer a phone call from a franchisee at any given point or return that phone call, uh, certainly within a couple of hours, respond to emails, you know, so I think there's just really from our standpoint, we just, once you're in the family, you're, you're, you're uh, going to get taken care of. I love it. I love the, the family pun because cousin subs, it's traced back into the roots. Um, any other major plans, 2022 and beyond? It sounds like you guys are on the path and everything, but any any plans for 2022? Yeah, I mean, there's a couple of different things. You know, in the state of Wisconsin, we actually bought back a couple of different markets, which are critical to us. And so we're redeveloping markets in uh, Sheboygan and Green Bay next year. Uh, so we're looking to put new units in each of those markets. And then uh, we selected Indianapolis as our next uh, target market for growth, for corporate growth. Um, and so we're looking to have two units in the ground in Indy next year, and then we'll expand from there. Um, so we're looking at doing that either by ourselves or with a franchise partner who wants to join us in Indianapolis. And then I think really from there, we're looking at some growth uh, that would spider from there, either into Ohio or down I-65 corridor, probably into Louisville area. But I think, you know, we've got a franchise group down in Chicago. We have a significant amount of stores uh, in, in Wisconsin. And really the Midwest is probably our hallmark and the best place for us to operate. Beautiful. Well, Jason, it's been a pleasure hosting you. Anything that I didn't ask that I should? Uh, you know, don't forget. So if you want to know what's different about Cousin Subs versus everybody else, we've got grilled hot subs. We've got cheese steaks. We've got cheese curds, which is pretty unique to the Midwest. Fries, shakes. So we got a pretty decadent menu if you like it. And I think that really the biggest thing is the fact that the quality, uh, you know, we cut everything fresh in, in house every single day, bake our bread in house twice a day. So all those things are important to actually delivering uh, extremely high quality product. And we've been known for better bread for years. So come try the bread and you'll find out. Yeah, I guess I should have asked about the actual consumer experience, but that that is when you mention that, that's something that I have consistently heard. Uh, th and then also I've I've had the opportunity to have a cousin sub and it really is fresh. It really is amazing. Um, and so, yeah, um, on the personal front, do you, what do you like to do to, what do you like to do to, to wind down and uh, when you're not focused on the business and the growth? Oh boy. Uh, well, I got, I got two kids who are uh, re recent empty nester. So one's down at Arizona state and one's at the uh, university of Wisconsin and Madison. So I found out what parents weekends are and father's weekends are like, so that's a lot of fun. I realize I'm not as young as I used to be, but, uh, in my personal time, I love sports just in general. You know, Wisconsin is great for sports. It's great for outdoor sports. Love live music. I'll check out some live music whenever I can. Zach Brown Band is in my neighborhood. I'm there for sure. But uh, nice. 
And I got 25 years of fantasy baseball experience in me. So we're looking for an owner if anybody wants to join us. We got a great league. Nice. I should maybe join. I played college ball for a couple of years. Baseball was my life for 15 years. And then I decided that I wanted to go uh, be an entrepreneur rather than play independent ball and try to make it. Um, Shout out to the Atlanta Braves for beating the Houston Astros. I am not a Houston Astros fan since uh, I live in uh, Texas. People think that I am. Um, But the last I guess the last question is where do folks go to um, learn more about Cousin Subs and to connect with your team to have a chat about the franchise opportunity. Sure, yeah, you can go to uh, www.cousinssubs, both plural, cousinssubs.com. And then from there, you can, you'll, there's a, a bar at the top. Just click the franchise link and go from there. Beautiful. Jason Westhoff, thank you very much for coming on the show. And we will keep an eye on the growth. Thank you so much. Awesome, Ryan. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye. Thanks for having me.